The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Kids say it best, don't they? I mean, it's, it's funny to watch and to listen to them. Uh, one, of my, one of our moms sent me this. Said, Gary, my four-year-old said, heaven is the happiest part of my dead life. <laughs> Pretty good answer. Pretty good answer. Um, so heaven, what's it like? I want to establish three facts and then I'll answer some questions. I've got 10 questions to answer and uh, we'll establish three facts. So uh, a lot of you have asked me, first of all, a book to recommend, uh, recommend on heaven. Randy Alcorn's book on heaven that I have up here is an excellent read. You can pick it up and uh, it's chapter by chapter answering questions, establishing a lot of things. Johnny Erickson Tata has one, John MacArthur, Erwin Lutzer, and uh, they're all excellent. But Randy Alcorn's the one that I'd recommend. You can take a screenshot of that if you can remember the name, Randy Alcorn, heaven. And so uh, the first thing I want to establish is uh, just remember we're describing the indescribable. That's what we're trying to do today. So uh, first thing I want to say is heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. He, he says, be of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be what? At home with the Lord. Heaven is our home. And uh, when we remember that, I think it helps us as we face death and disease and, and the afterlife. And so home is a place that should be a place, uh, home should be a place of joy and enjoyment, safety and security, fun and family, care and compassion. That's what home is about. I'm a vagabond, as you guys know. I, I love to travel. I love to see new cultures, experience new things, taste new foods, uh, meet new people. And I love doing that. But there's no place like home. That no matter how much Bev and I go, I love to come back to 6711 Naples, right down 31st Street, and be at home. There's really no place like home. It was Dorothy who clicked her heels together in The Wizard of Oz who said, there's no place like home, no place like home. And Paul says, we don't need to fear because heaven is our home. We don't need to fear death because we're going home. Some of you have been in the military. You've gone off on deployments. You've fought in wars. Can you remember what it was like to come home? The great joy it was to be at home? Some of you have worked for weeks, months, even years away from home. You remember what it was like to finally come home to your family? Remember what it was like to come home? That's what Paul is establishing here. Years ago when I was in college, I spent four summers working offshore. The fourth summer, Bev and I had just gotten engaged, and uh, I would work for 28 days in these oil rigs, then come back for seven days and work for 28 days. Those 28 days were the longest days of my life, and I was away from her during our time of engagement. And, and the seven days flew by fast, but when we got on that helicopter to fly back to shore, we were all excited because we were coming home. You know what that's like. And that's what the, the picture that Paul is painting. Heaven is our home. We don't fear going home. One author says this, fear of death ends when we know that heaven is our true home. In all of my air travel, I've never one time seen a passenger weep when the plane landed and said, I, I want to stay here. I, I, I don't want to leave. I, I want more peanuts. Let me stay on this plane for the next three months. Nobody does that because planes take us home. Heaven is our home. Paul recognized this when he said in Philippians 1, he said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart. In our first week, we saw that particular Greek word for departing was a ship that was setting sail, a ship whose anchor had been weighed, and they knew the port or destination they're gone to. And Paul says, I'm really torn. I desire to depart to be with Christ. That's far better. And the next verse says, but I think he's going to leave me here for a while. But Paul knew this was a place of safety, a place of security, a place of family, a place of fellowship, a place of desire. He brings that out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, even more so. 
Heaven is also, heaven also includes redeemed earth. That song we just sang said, heaven and earth become one. It's the new Jerusalem coming down and the earth that we live on, which has been redeemed. We saw that last week. We spent the whole week talking about that, the whole sermon talking about it last week. Alcorn has a great section, not just one chapter, but five chapters on presenting the earth as that which is redeemed and restored. We saw, in, we saw in this verse, in Revelation 22, 3, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it as bond servants will serve forever. And last week, if you weren't with us, we had a great time saying, imagine this place redeemed and restored with no temptation and no sin. Imagine this place where we will have no greed, no anger, no sexual morality, no lust, no no coveting, no hatred, no fighting, no cancer, no weeds, no thorns. The curse is removed. Everything is made right by God. Amen? I mean, it's a glorious thing to consider that everything is redeemed and made right. We saw in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, that creation itself will be liberated. The concept is be set free from bondage to decay. And what we see is that the concept of redemption or being set free doesn't make something go out of existence. It doesn't abandon it. So God is going to take this earth that we live on and restore it and somehow join the new heaven with the new earth. And here we will live forever and ever in his presence. And so what we see is there'll be a great day when everything is made right. When the child who can't walk will one day have legs. And the person who's mentally challenged will be fully restored. And the spouse that is mentally struggling will have that struggle taken away. And what we see is everything will be made right because the curse will be removed. No more physical death, no more spiritual death. The effects of sin and the effects of the fall are taken away. And we should say glory, hallelujah, because it's all gone. And the third point I want to make is heaven is where all things are fully known. All things are fully known. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's a love chapter. And at the end of that chapter, Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. That is, we don't see everything clearly. But then we will see face to face. There's a time coming when this will happen, face to face with our Savior. Now I know in part. We don't know everything. Only Google, Siri, and YouTube know everything, right? (laughs) Uh, Our four-year-old grandson last year told uh, our daughter-in-law he really wanted wanted her to build a tent in the living room. And she said, Case, I don't know how to do it. He said, ask Siri, she knows everything. Uh, Only God is omniscient. Now we know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Let's pick that apart. But then I will know fully. What does that mean? Does that mean the moment we enter in the presence of God, we know everything? We immediately become Encyclopedia Britannica or Google or Siri or whatever else? No, that's not what it means. I believe heaven is not a static place, but heaven is a place of growth. I I don't believe all of a sudden we receive everything that we're ever going to have for all of eternity, but I believe it's a place of growth. In fact, in Ephesians chapter two, we read these words, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in when the coming ages, okay, so that's the heavenlies, the, the time will be with him, he might show, reveal is the word used there, show or reveal the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So look at what that verse is saying. It says, in the coming ages, in the coming ages, the Father will reveal to us, will show us the incomparable riches of his grace. You've heard me say before that if there was one scene I could be dropped into in the entire Bible, it would be the post-resurrection time when the disciples to Emmaus were walking down that road and Jesus joined them. 
And it says in Luke that he began to point out to them all the things about himself. He did a Bible walkthrough of himself with those two disciples. Can you imagine? You imagine walking next to Jesus and he's pointing out in Genesis, this was me. In Leviticus, the sin offering, that was me. And the day of atonement, that was me. And and he does this walkthrough. Well, imagine in all of eternity where God is a tour guide. You see, let me show you when grace was extended to you. Let me show you when grace was extended to the world. Let me show you. And over and over, we see and learn of his grace in deeper and more tangible ways. What an experience that'll be. It says in the ages to come, he will show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in the kindness of Christ Jesus. And so we will grow in this arena It says we will know fully, and it also says we will be fully known. We will be fully known. That is, he will know who we are, and I think we will know one another based upon who we are. I'm going to talk about do we recognize one another in heaven in a second, but here's the reality. We will know based upon what we're like, what we're like. A couple of weekends ago was uh, my 45th high school reunion back in New Orleans. I didn't get to go because uh, uh, we were here uh, working that weekend and, and preaching. And so, uh, but a lot of my friends uh, Facebooked me and with all these pictures from a 45th high school reunion. My first thought was, man, these people look really old. That was the first thing I thought. And then I turned to Bev and I said, hey, babe, do I look that old? And of course she said, no way. She's not going to answer that the other way anyway, would she? I mean, she's not going to say, yeah, you look as old as those old dudes. I saw pictures of guys. I went to the same school for the first nine years of my life, first through ninth grade, and then the same high school, 10, 11, and 12. I only went to two schools. And so I knew a lot of these people my whole life. And when I looked at their pictures, I didn't recognize them. But then when I heard about who they were, I said, oh, I know them. And I know him. I know Leroy, and I know Phil, and I know Wayne, and I know Gail, I, I know them. I, there were some of the girls I dated, not one of them looked as good as Bev. I'm going to tell you that, not a single one of them. But when I heard about them, I recognized them. And I knew them. See, you ever have somebody walk by and you think, I think I know that person. I was in my office uh, about two weeks ago and this person walked by and I realized after he walked by, it was Danny Cunningham. Danny's lost over 100, right at 100 pounds in the last year. He's one-third of his former self, so we pay him one-third less now. (laughs) But he walks by, and I don't recognize him, but I know him. I know him, and then I recognize him. And I think that's the concept of being fully known. If I think we'll recognize one another. I'll show you that in a second. But if not, we will know based upon who we are. We fully know, and we are fully known. Uh, By the way, this concept of not being static, uh, of things changing and evolving and growing, uh, in Revelation 14.3, they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144 had been redeemed from the earth. They sang what? What kind of song did they sing? A new song. So that tells me songs are going to be written in eternity. It tells me that there's going to be creativity in heaven. It tells me musicians and song leaders and worship leaders are going to be in heaven. I won't have a job in heaven. I'm not going to teach you about heaven in heaven. I guarantee you that. 
Okay? You, you have no need for it to be taught by me or anybody else that has my position, but that, a lot of you are going to lose your jobs too. There's not going to be any pharmacists, no doctors, no nurses, no policemen, no firemen, no funeral directors, no lawyers or judges, amen? <clears throat> and uh, no personal trainers. We get this glorified body. I'm going to be 6'4 in heaven because I'm finally going to grow into my weight. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> so what's it going to be like? You sent me a lot of questions. What I want to establish is heaven is our home. Heaven includes the redeemed earth, free from the consequences of sin, the curse of the fall. Heaven is where, where, we, where all things are fully known. So let me go through these questions. Number one, will we recognize and know our loved ones in heaven? <clears throat> that was a question I was asked more than anything else. I, I guess I got about 100 questions from you. I would say maybe 20 of you asked that question. So obviously it's burning in our hearts. Will we know and recognize one another in heaven? I, I, I don't have any question that's going to happen. When we get to heaven, we're going to know and recognize one another. In Matthew chapter 17, it's a transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as a light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. How did Peter, James, and John know that was Moses and Elijah? They went to their Facebook account and plugged in Elijah to see what he looked like? You think they had name tags? I mean, how did he know that? How did the disciples know that? I, I, th- there were no photographs of these guys. But the point I want to bring out is they recognized them. They were recognizable. They, they had bodies. They were seen. They were recognized. And I think in heaven, that's the way it is. We are recognized. In fact, Jesus, when he appeared to the disciples, it said after this, he showed himself, showed them his hands. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And so there's no doubt the disciples saw Jesus and they knew who he was. Now, at first they didn't, if you remember, but ultimately they did. Theologians call this the concept of continuity and incontinuity. Uh, Chase preached on that a couple of weeks ago about the resurrected glorified body. When, when he preached on that, what he said was, if you put a tomato seed in the ground, you expect to get a tomato plant. You put a cantaloupe seed in the ground, you expect to get a cantaloupe. You don't put a tomato seed in the ground, expect to get a cantaloupe. The law of continuity is whatever's placed in the ground, that's the fruit that comes out. Likewise, we are placed in the ground, and 1 Corinthians 15 says we are resurrected, and so the law of continuity, I I believe we will appear as we are. Now, the seed doesn't look like the fruit entirely, but you know the fruit based upon the seed, right? And and so I I believe we will recognize. I believe my mom who went to glory back in March, that when I go to glory, I'll recognize her. I believe I'll recognize my bride. I believe we'll recognize other folks. You're going to recognize me. I'm going to recognize you. They recognize Moses and Elijah. They recognize Jesus after they had died. And Jesus in a glorified body at this point in time. So I believe we will be recognized. Well, I believe we will recognize one another and we will know one another. By the way, Jesus could eat. He could walk through walls. So his body was a little different. Luke chapter 16, jot it down, take a look at it later. It's the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus knew who the rich man was and the rich man knew who Lazarus was. And so what we see is that there's ability for us to recognize one another for all eternity. Question number two. <clears throat> this is a great question. What age will we be in heaven? What age will we be in heaven? And then a friend of mine who has moved away from Temple several years ago, but a good friend, he had an eight-year-old son killed in an ATV accident. 
And he questioned me. He said, Gary, will my son look like an eight-year-old, like a mature man? What's going to happen? Well, first of all, I can't answer this question. I I don't have an answer for you. Thomas Aquinas, the great theologian of uh, many years ago, uh, wrote this. He said that we're all going to be 33 in heaven because that's how Jesus was when he died. That's a pretty good year, actually. Uh, Physically, anyway, everything's not falling apart yet, but when you get to be 63, everything's falling apart. 33 looks pretty attractive. But I can also tell you, at 33, you're not as wise as you're going to be one day. Some of you think you are, but you're not. And so I don't know. Thomas Aquinas said that, pure speculation. Uh, I can't tell you what age we're going to be. The scriptures don't talk about that. I want to remind you that heaven is a timeless place. And because it's a timeless place, I don't think we'll know until we get there. I don't think we'll know until we have this resurrected body. But as I was reading Alcorn, he made me think about something I hadn't thought about before. And I answer my, Ken, my friend whose eight-year-old died. Here's what I tell Ken based upon what I've read and what could be. What if you have the privilege of heaven as a place of joy and enjoyment? What happens if you see your eight-year-old mature into a man in your presence? If heaven is a place of great joy and enjoyment, what happens if you, the parent of a mentally disabled, mentally challenged son or daughter, get the privilege to watch them grow and learn in heaven. And that little boy who sits last hour in a wheelchair over here, a young man actually, with cerebral palsy, what if his parents and grandparents get to watch him begin to walk and talk for the first time? It's speculation on my part. I can't tell you it's going to happen that way. But heaven's not static. It's a place of growth. What if that takes place? Can you imagine the joy that takes place when those things are seen. Corollary to that question is what about marriage in heaven? And uh, we will be married in heaven. We'll be married to Jesus. Scriptures tell us that in Ephesians chapter five. It says that our marriage on earth is a picture of what takes place in heaven. That, That this one flesh relationship we have on earth is a picture of what's gonna take place there. So some of you say, well, I know my wife, my husband there. Yeah, you'll know him. I don't question that. I love what Alcorn says about this section. He says, here on earth, we long for a perfect marriage. In heaven, we'll have that. We'll be closer than ever. I'm convinced of that. God said it's not good for man to be alone, but it's going to be different. The human institution of marriage was a symbol or a picture. The symbol is no longer needed. The signpost is no longer necessary. So what Alcorn says, and I agree with him, uh, you remember when the Pharisees came to Christ and they said, uh, hey, there's this lady, she's been married to these seven brothers, each of them have died, uh, whose wife will she be in heaven? The first lesson to learn from this story, you shouldn't have all married that one woman if you keep dying, she'd probably poison you. <laughs> when I read that, I always think that. But it was really a trap, it's a, it's a facetious question. And Jesus says, we'll neither marry nor be given in marriage, we'll be like the angels in heaven. I believe marriage is a picture of what's going to take place in heaven, and therefore that picture and symbol is no longer needed. But here's what Alcorn says. God usually doesn't replace his original creation, but when he does, he replaces it with something far better, not worse. And so I believe, he writes, it's never spoken of, that deep relationships between married people are going to end. In our lives, two people here can be business partners, tennis partners, walking partners, but when they're no longer partners, it doesn't mean their friendship ends. The relationship built during one kind of partnership often carries over. And I believe that's what takes place in the new earth. It's a continuation of what's already started here. 
I, I believe we will enjoy God's, God's design for us in an even greater way than we do here. The notion that relationships with family and friends will be lost in heaven is unbiblical. It denies the clear doctrine of continuity between this life and the next. Hope that brings you comfort. You're going to recognize folks. Relationships will continue. What started here continues in heaven. In the garden before the fall, there was temptation. Will there be temptation in heaven? The answer is no. It's a great question, but there's not going to be temptation. Before the fall, there was temptation, but, but in heaven, there won't be. I get that from Revelation 20.10. It says, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And the beast and the false prophet, the devil, will be tormented day and night. How long? Read it with me. Forever and ever. The devil is locked up. He's cast into a lake of fire. His minions are with him. And therefore, not, will we, not, we will not only sin, but we won't even have temptation. And I say glory, hallelujah. We have to fight temptation. We don't have to do that. Will we eat in heaven? Will there be wine in heaven? <laughs> only one of you asked that question, but it was on my heart, so I had to put it up there. Okay? To some of you, that's insignificant. To me, it's highly significant. And uh, I say a resounding yes, amen, glory, hallelujah. Uh, the angel said this, right, blessed are those who invited the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Wedding what? What's it say? A wedding what? What do you do at supper? I don't know what you do at your house, but we eat at my house. We celebrate. You would just celebrate. Thanksgiving was a marvelous time. We had a bunch of folks at our house, a lot of family in for Thanksgiving. It was a marvelous celebration. If you've ever been to a Mediterranean, folks from, the, from that area of the world, to one of their receptions, it's an amazing thing. You need to try it out. Just go crash one of their weddings in the future. Do that. I was invited, and it was a great time, and it's wonderful. It's going to be a great time there. It says in the down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit. It doesn't say in the scriptures we're going to eat of the tree of life. I think we will. It was off limits before, but it's not now. And I believe because it's that which is eternal where we'll be, that it will be provision for all of us from the trees that are gathered there. Maybe so, maybe not. But I do know this from Isaiah. It says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of metafast bars for all people. <laughs> a banquet of grape juice, the best of fruit and vegetables, and the finest water you can drink. Man, I've got this verse underlined 10 times in my Bible. I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses. I memorized it many years ago. A banquet of, they repeat wine in there twice. I like that. A feast of rich food for all people, the best meats, the finest of wines. That's going to be a great time. You know why? Because Jesus is the host. That's why. It doesn't matter what we eat. What matters is that he's in the center of it. Uh, what about cremation and what about uh, organ donation? My answer is yes to both of those. It's fine. Uh, that was a question that was asked of me by a couple of folks. Is okay to donate organs, okay to cremate? The concept being, well, if our body is not here, how's it going to be resurrected? The reality of it is, if you die and Christ doesn't come back for dozens of years or centuries, your body will be like cremation anyway, uh, organ donation, uh, Christ is going to resurrect us, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's nothing in the scriptures that prohibit that. Jews do not, by the way, cremate. 
uh, they respect the body so much they don't do that. But the reality of it, if the resurrection takes place, we have folks that have died in explosions, died in fires. It doesn't matter. Uh, the resurrection of this body is what God's going to be about. It'll be a miraculous thing of the joining together. Will there be officials and referees in heaven? <laughs> that, that question was asked by uh, a coach whose initials are Kirby Johnson. Are you over there? Are you over there this hour? Is he, is he sitting? I don't see him over there. Okay, so Kirby asked that question. He said, Pastor Gary, uh, Gary, I know the answer to that. Heaven's a perfect place. I've never met a perfect official, so they're not going to be there. <laughs> Will heaven be boring? What will we do in heaven? Will heaven be boring? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. To say that heaven is boring is to say God is boring. I want you to look around the creation that we have around us right now. Is it boring? I wrote my notes, imagine skydiving without a parachute, scuba diving without an air tank, climbing a mountain, visiting Jupiter and Saturn without a rocket. I don't know if we can do those things. I'm trying to describe the indescribable. I don't know that those things will happen. But if you imagine the unimaginable, it's going to be pretty amazing. I know we're going to rest in heaven it says, uh, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, as a spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. So there will be rest in heaven, Shabbat, taking a break, if you will. But it doesn't mean it's an eternal day off. Adam and Eve worked in the garden before the fall. I, I believe there will be work for us to do in eternity. We'll worship without boredom, reign without jealousy, be in community with families without drama, which will be amazing. I believe there'll be writing and ranching and farming and instructing and creating and laughing and recreation in heaven. What about babies or those with impairments that can't comprehend what Jesus did for us? It's a great question. Maybe you have miscarried. What about that baby? I've done numerous funerals for babies who died in utero, babies stillborn, a few two, three, four-year-olds who haven't been old enough to comprehend what Jesus did. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David speaks of his grieving, he's grieving the death of his infant son. He speaks this inspired word. He cannot return to me, but one day I shall go to him. David was assured of the presence of his son with the Lord. In Jesus, if you remember, there's a scene in the, in the Gospels where the children are, are wanting to come to him. The disciples are keeping the children away from him. And Jesus said, let the ch- little children come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I believe if you've lost that little child through a miscarriage, through, through abortion, if you've lost that little baby that was stillborn or those that are mentally impaired and cannot believe, I believe they are safe in the arms of our Savior. And I've done numerous funerals seeking to assure parents of that very thing. Finally, we'll, or a couple of, two more, will there be oceans uh, based upon Revelation 21.1? It says, I saw a new heaven, new earth. The first heaven, first earth passed away. There will no longer be any sea. And so somebody else will be oceans in heaven because they love to scuba dive and do that type of stuff. And Al Corner's book says no, uh, no sea in there. You can see it in the scriptures uh, because in Israel right now, the, the sea was that which is evil, depicted as evil. Marauders came from the sea. Israel never had much commerce through the sea until recent years. 
and uh, it stood for everything that was evil. So we know there'll be a river, we know there'll be streams, and so it'll be fresh living water is his argument. John Ortberg, in the book with my favorite title, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Him, has a section in there, and he says, the sea is metaphorical for everything evil, for everything bad, and yes, there will be oceans. God's gonna redeem everything on this planet, and that includes the oceans, and so we'll get to swim with the dolphins, and et cetera, et cetera. So, my, my opinion is, I think not. I think there'll be living streams of water that flow from the throne. I don't think there'll be oceans, but there could be, and that's all I can say about that. Does the rest of the universe, the stars and galaxies, disappear if the earth is redeemed? I, I don't see why. I don't see why that needs to take place. Can we visit them? I hope so. We'll enjoy looking at them? Yes, we will. And so I say no reason for that to happen. There are a lot of things I'm wondering about. A lot of things I'm wondering about. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine with me for a second. I want you to imagine with me that you're in eternity. And you meet Adam. Say, Adam, what'd that fruit taste like? Why'd you listen to your wife? And never mind, I know why. (laughs) Isaac, what was it like when your father Abraham had that knife on Mount Moriah and was ready to take your life? What'd you feel? What'd you think? Daniel, what was it like when you got thrown in that lion's den? Jonah, in the belly of that fish, tell me about it. Zacchaeus, I I bet you're glad you got a glorified body. You're not a wee little man anymore. (laughs) Peter, (laughs) hey bro, does anybody can relate to it to you, man? If you were living in central Texas right now, I guess we'd hang out. Hey, you do what I do. You speak up. Crispus. When I meet Crispus, I'm going to say, man, you gave me so many sermon illustrations, and I'm finally glad to meet you. Least likely person in the world to come to Christ. Then I want you to imagine meeting your mom or your daddy. My sweet mama, I'm sure she can have a spoon in one hand, a pot in the other, trying to feed me when I get there. And then all those have gone before you. I looked at my computer. I've done over 250 funerals. A lot of funerals. Some of your husbands, some of your wives, some of your sons, some of your daughters, some of your moms, some of your dads. I've done funerals for a lot of you. And imagine that moment when you'll be together. And then imagine this moment. Imagine that moment right there. Face to face with your Redeemer. The one you've cried out to thousands of times, the one I've confessed to thousands of times. And you'll look into those eyes, into those nail-scored hands. The one who loved you with an unconditional love, the one who says, I've forgiven you and you're mine forever. I can only imagine what that's gonna be like. And so my friends, when I think about all these questions, I can only imagine the moment we see our Savior, these questions will go away. And we'll experience Him and whatever He has for us for all of eternity. So I want to close this way. Two groups of people. Some of you, when you see Jesus, He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I know you're not. It's because you don't know Christ personally yet. You have not trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins. And I'm going to invite you to join me down here. Last hour, we had two folks come down and trust Christ for the first time. One was a man in his 60s. He's a scientist. He's had all kinds of questions for me. And today he said, Gary, I surrender. I give up. I believe this. I want to make Jesus my Savior.
That was the last hour. And we cried together and we hugged together and his dear wife bawled. For some of you need to do that. For some of you, in 1 John it says this, little children abide in him so that when he appears you will not shrink away in shame at his coming. And if Christ came back today for some of you because of the sin you're involved in right now, you would shrink away in shame at his coming. You wouldn't run to embrace him, you would back away from him. And so... My dear friend, Dan Fulmer. Dan has uh, worked with our junior high and high school kids for a lot of years. He has uh, melded them into bands, generations of kids. So would you welcome my friend, Dan Fulmer, up here? And so I can only imagine a lot of things. Dan's going to sing that song. I'm going to get on my knees down here. And if you need to do business with God to make sure when you view our Savior face to face, you're ready for that moment. I'm asking you to come get down on your knees with me and make sure you're ready. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us so much about our Savior. We can only imagine what it's going to be like with him.